Hey there folks, how's it going? I'm Mohin and today we're joined by cycling superstar and all-round legend Joe Laverick. Joe, how's it going? Oh, good, thank you. Apart from that embarrassing introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I will. It was, uh, I think it was your idea. It was my own words, taken slightly out of context. <laughs> that's, how, that's how we roll on the Monument Cycling Podcast. So you are riding for uh, AG2R's feeder squad this year? Yeah, that's right. So we're technically called Chambéry Cyclisme Formation, um, to give it the, the proper French pronunciation. Um, but yeah, we have to say in kit, bikes and everything. We're all but in name the uh, under-23 team for Hachi Deserve. Okay, sure, sure. I'm going to leave the French pronunciations to you because my French is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, aside from being an incredibly good rider and racing on the UK scene last year, you kind of first, I think, made your name more publicly uh, in the past couple of months by writing um, for like Cycling Tips, Cycling News, and the British Continental. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the main thing that really caught my attention was your most recent piece on the British Continental titled uh, something along the lines of cycling's business model is broken. (laughs) It got a a little bit of, what's the word? Um, Feedback, Mm. shall we say. Yeah. Well, it's great. It like starts discussions like that is brilliant. It gets people involved, spreads the word a bit and also has some ideas floating out there. Mm. And I actually, I got a fair bit of good feedback as well. Mm. And like, I've realized in lockdown, a lot of people are coming up with ideas of how to make it potentially more sustainable or a better business model. Yeah. But I think it's, I suppose it's a waiting game to see whether it'll actually work or if it's just all talk. Yeah. <laughs> I guess part of it is whether anyone actually enacts the ideas that that get discussed. Yeah, I suppose part of it is what what happens after lockdown because nobody really knows what the financial model is going to be like. Yes. Um, whether yeah. teams are going to fold or, or what, so... I suppose it depends how desperate we are to change the model. Yeah. Well, do you think... My my thought first when I was looking at it was cycling's business model is broken from a wider perspective. Like, I, I don't think that can be uh, really denied. You know, we see teams dropping out and we see teams, uh, sponsors, like, deciding it's not the sport for them uh, and struggles every single year. Do you think that it's definitely broken for everybody or just the grassroots well i think there's two ways of looking at it because you said the sponsors drop out like every other year and that's the same in every single sport so say you look at um football for example man united mm-hmm. side a five-year shirt deal with say chevrolet i think it is at the minute after right. that five years it goes to whoever wants or unless chevrolet wants to rebid whereas in cycling if that shirt sponsor the team sponsor drops out that's the end of the team yeah. So there's a different sort of we're so reliant on sponsors, whereas in other sports, sponsors just bring more to the table. Um, and I think it's interesting from our perspective. Well, from my perspective as a rider, it's not great because, for example, you don't know what team is going to be there next year, um, even races to a degree. But then it's working for some people, for example, the ASO, because <laughs> they seem to be doing all right out of all this. <laughs> Yeah, there are a few uh, we we touched on the other day, like uh, two or three. I think ASO, Flanders Classics. Um, I, I think that's that's about it who you could say are really actually doing well out of sight. Yeah, and as I say, ASO, it'd be hard for them to do bad considering they basically own all of cycling. <laughs> yes. like when you look at the grand scheme of things, 
they pretty much own or can control everything. So like mm-hmm. the current calendar, they've basically, I mean, everyone says it's the UCI, which has put this new post-lockdown calendar out. I'm going to guess ASO had a, had a big part to play in They've that. probably got quite a few events in there, haven't they? Yeah. So as you said, some, some are doing really well out of it, but I mean, that's probably the 0.1% doing really well out of it. So for the <laughs> 99 percent Without sounding too um, despondent, that just sounds like capitalism. <laughs> no judgment on different different um, gov- different ways of governing this, countries. There, this but. is not a political podcast. <laughs> I think I can't begrudge race organisers like ASO throwing their weight around and protecting their own assets, but it's it so often comes at the expense of young riders like yourself. Yeah, and it's. I've listened to a few podcasts recently, actually, where people have been saying, well, what's next? Mm. And a lot of people have been saying, let's streamline the calendar, bring it down. So make it kind of, I don't know, 10 races or whatever, for example, and just have the best riders at every race. But then that makes roles such as mine in the future. Like it makes it harder for those under 23s to crack into it. Yeah. And it's definitely like, definitely work for some people. So obviously the best of the best riders wise. They want to say the business model's broken when they're making, I don't know, three, four million euros a year. But then, again, I use the football example because I come from a football background. Um, three, four million a year in football is is kind of mid mid level, like probably even bottom level of the Premier League. It's, yeah, yeah, definitely. it's a different. I mean, I, I keep using football is the, arguably the biggest sport in the world, so it's probably not best to use that exact comparison and. Granted, cycling is doing better than sports such as rowing from a financial point of view because we've got guys on millions of euros a year. Mm. But I feel we're missing, potentially missing an opportunity to make our sport better commercially and therefore for the fans. So it's kind of could be a win-win, but as always, it's easier said than done. Yeah. Is it that you can't directly compare football and cycling, as you said, because one is the biggest sport in the world and one... While it has a huge following, it's not uh, certainly commercially as viable as football. Mm. But I don't think there's any harm in taking tips and cues from one of the most successful sports around. No, exactly. We can learn so much from football. Mm. So as I touched on my piece with British Conti, stuff like branding. Um, you see football teams have got their badge on everything, whether that's a kid's packed up, uh, pack-up box or a, like, a businessman's tie. Like every... Pretty much everything you can imagine, product-wise, a football club sells. Yeah. Whereas cycling teams probably sell, what, team kit and then... If that. <laughs> yeah, if that. And then maybe a like a casual t-shirt. But most yeah. of the time, the casual t-shirt is basically just a walking billboard for, let's say, Sky when it was. And then who wants to walk around looking like a Sky salesman? <laughs> yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, whereas if you see in football, it's quite, it's more subtle. Yeah. And I think we can we, we can definitely learn from bigger brands, uh, sorry, bigger sports. And then some sports are doing it just as well. Like I mentioned cricket, um, they've managed to develop from a really boring, well, from my opinion, a really boring format of a five-day test match, Yeah, which is pretty cool to watch in person, but on TV it just drags. Um, and T20 is like pretty good to watch for everyone because it's yeah. quick. And then again, more sponsors come into T20 because more people watch it. Yeah. It, it's just, again, it's that circle where you get one thing going and then hopefully the rest of it comes. Yeah, true. And there are some really good teams doing it in cycling. There, there, 
they're the exception as opposed to the rule. So like Tekkers, um, Cycling Sheffield, uh, mm-hmm. I can't think of it. So Piran, are, yeah. um, again, like these teams are running on a brand rather than, um, I don't, I'm not hating on any teams here because it's just a normal, everyone has a sponsor. So I'll use a world tour team. So nobody like shouts me down on Twitter, but team Ineos, it's, yeah. it's what, what are they? A fracking company or a petrochemical? I don't know. <laughs> something that you wouldn't normally want to associate your name with yeah so i mean oh third use to any else they put in yeah, hundreds of millions into sport not just in cycling but then would you rather buy a techers casual t-shirt or a Ineos casual t-shirt yeah we did a giveaway for a techers t-shirt and it went nuts and that that's what you need in almost every team to a degree yeah. and there's such a stigma isn't there in pro tip like there's the fpkw hashtag um, yeah which if people don't know what that is like twitter or whatever um, but there's almost a stigma if you if you see him wearing a i don't know again an ineos jersey people think like i don't know people think bad of you almost mm. um, it's very uncool and cycling has a lot of uh unwritten rules don't they but yeah think, there's there's this snobbery about it almost yeah which is weird you yeah. never yeah. see that in in football you can never imagine someone being snobbish about a small child wearing a man united shirt you know even like if you'd go on holiday you regularly see like pubs packed with anyone from a five-year-old child to a 70 year old man wearing a replica team like yeah. kit um, i mean you don't see him wearing the shorts and the shin pads <laughs> and the socks but the jersey you see that all the time yeah and, and their their support for the team has become a part of their identity as well which is really good exactly yeah so it's People get really emotional in football and sports like that about their team, whereas in cycling, it's just kind of. I think people almost follow riders rather than mm. squad. Oh, de- to yeah, a degree. yeah, hundred percent. You see these huge fan. I think um, for myself, building, trying to work a lot more on social media right now. I'm seeing Julian Alaphilippe is huge. Him and Matthew Vanderpol, they're they're, yeah. they're everywhere, and people love them as riders, mm. and they're great uh, ambassadors for the sport, but. It shows there's this, this appetite that has to be able to be tapped into for for bike teams. Yeah, and I think it's like we're we're not slagging it off, but we're all, like there's a lot of teams doing it well on the social media yeah. platform as well. So if you look at um, Who What Bike, yeah, they released a pretty cool documentary about a year back or whatever it was. Yeah, that was a really cool insight. Um, obviously, got the backstage pass from Mitchelton Scott. Um, or whatever are they call Mitchell and Scott these days? I think they are. Well, that, that's the thing. We we don't even <laughs> I, I, for the life of me, I can't remember who their current sponsors are. But they've built up this identity that I know who you're talking about straight away. Yeah. So this was interesting. Um, Jacob Tipper actually mentioned on Twitter to me. He was like, "We don't necessarily need to build a brand such as Manchester United, but as long as teams keep their identity through sponsors and." I mentioned keeping team colours constant um, because that way your team kit always stays almost in, not in fashion, but um, what it always stays like in focus. So yeah. like Quickstep had done quite well in this actually. So, but that's because Quickstep has been around for however many years. Whereas Sky changed from blue to red and black. So all of a sudden your Sky jersey shows no affiliation to Ineos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because even if it was uh, a different sponsor, but the same color and the same style, you'd have this continuity. It means that ah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so that way you don't have every year 
you know, people aren't thinking, oh my, I'm not going to buy the jersey this year because next year it's completely out of date and makes no sense. Um, so I reckon if we can, if we can build brands which almost stay constant enough to make to have this longevity, then you can start looking at other merchandise, so to speak. But nobody's going to buy. We'll use the stupid example of a tie with whatever on if the year after that doesn't exist. Yeah. Do you think that's something that it's difficult to change a uh, whole aspect of, of a sport midway through that sport's existence, but we've got an opportunity with something like e-racing. Do you think that's something that can be um, not shoehorned in, but introduced slowly or organically as e-racing grows organically? I think e-racing is a really interesting one. Like, for sure, I, I enjoy racing on Zwift, but for me, I, I see it I see it almost as a training session rather than a race right. at the minute. Um, but there's some guys who have, like, there's the the Wahoo team, I know for a fact, and there's, there's numerous other teams, which I, I can't say I'm all up to date with the Zwift e-racing scene. Um, but it's a good, it's almost a good way of introducing it slowly without upsetting any of the old guards, so to speak. Yeah, true. Um, because I think the, like, I'm not disrespecting anyone, but a lot of, essentially, the old guard will say, um almost think right we've done it for 100 years or whatever like it's we've, we've still got a sport up, so let's crack on and carry on yeah but um it's like if you look at a team like tinkoff um that was in all but name kind of a millionaires i don't know toy almost yeah. but that tinkoff kit was pretty cool yeah and had an identity it, yeah and tinkoff as a brand like i know it was his last name but it was a pretty cool yeah. entity. Yeah. Um, so I think e-racing would be an interesting way of bringing it in, but also odd teams are still doing it. So if a team such as Tekkers, St. Piran, I think if they showed it was viable, more teams would potentially get on board. Yeah. Um, but it's that people are almost scared to be the first one because the business model is not great. That it kind it doesn't I wouldn't say it works perfectly but it does work to a degree. You're you're so often teetering on this knife edge, but you are balancing that, and I guess yeah. you don't want to do anything that might uh, throw that balance off. Exactly, and it could be could be the greatest thing that ever happened to your team and your brand, <laughs> or it could potentially send you down the metaphorical drain. Yes, yeah, um, exactly. When people don't really want to make that risk when there's 50, 60 jobs on the line, which again I completely respect. But it almost takes, it only takes one. Like we saw it with Sky with marginal gains, it took one team to do something. And now everyone's cooling down on turbos. Everyone's going to altitude. It takes that one team to almost everyone take the mick out of them. And then all of a sudden, everyone's doing it. Yeah, that would, that would be ideal. I don't think it has to happen, but I think it should happen. It's certainly something that is such an easy switch. It might be risky, but it, it could easily happen. Yeah, and not necessarily like going a full team name, but keeping that continuity between sponsors, I think, is the key. So I'm yeah. not saying Sky should change, uh, sorry, Enios should change their name to, um, I don't know, Manchester CC because yeah. they're, based, they're originally based in Manchester. But if they kept continuity between Sky and Enios, then that would be a bonus rather than it's almost two different teams. And I just made my own slip there and called them Sky, which a lot of people do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel sorry for uh, for the, Q, the Q, Nick, however you say it, because everyone calls them Quickstep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Even though Dakunik have got the first name in the net in like the team name. Yeah. Just quick to everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you got to feel bad for them a little bit. Yeah. So there's this Isn't this it? balance and this toss up. Yeah. So again, with with quick step, they don't. If they call themselves the Wolf Pack, for example, mm. that'd be cool. But they lose name not, rights, don't they? Yeah, it's not a necessity to go to call yourself the Wolf Pack at the start. If you just if they manage to keep the continuity, which Quick Step are quite good at, to be fair, um, between the years, then that's almost the first stepping stone. Hoop Watt Bike mm. kind of did the same, but um, they had sponsors previously, KGF. Yeah. Um, and they managed to keep their identity change into what bike, which I think is partially down to the riders they've got and the um, almost the story they tell. Yeah. But then if they change to just what bike or whatever, I think that they're quite good at keeping the continuity between team names and we just need more people to do that. Yeah. It seems something that there's no one set formula that teams are able to do to, to keep that continuity. Instead, it kind of happens on an organic case by case basis yeah and in a dream i'm an, like i wrote my piece i'm an idealist <laughs> and i would love for everyone to be called techers or saint piran or cycling left field but i know that's not necessarily the case um like darvados would be a mega name to have but then you've got hoop and what bike are putting in x amount of money going oh well, where's our worth now so i'd love everyone to have their own individual names like pretty much every other sport in the world mm. And then create a brand off the back of that team name. Yeah. But it's not necessarily going to happen straight away. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really interesting point to uh, to leave part one there. And I think we can uh, have everyone uh, having a little bit of a discussion <laughs> on the, uh, on Twitter and, and Instagram. No hate these people. <laughs> constructive criticism and constructive comments, but uh, no hate. <laughs> Okay, folks, that's all we've got time for in part one. Don't forget to subscribe to the Monument Cycling Podcast on your favourite platform. Uh, Joe, thank you so much. Thank you. It's great. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, we'll see everyone in part two. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow Joe, Monument Cycling, and myself on social media.